Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thank you all for tuning in. Happy Pride Month, y'all. It is our month. Although, let's be real, here at Near and Queer to My Heart, we believe every month is Pride Month. But this month, we get to wear extra rainbows and glitter and have some parades and have some fun. So we wish you all the best. We got some Pride Month specials coming for you. So stay tuned on our social media. We got some cool stuff coming up. But right now we have this amazing episode with Jeff Klein. Jeff Klein and I met. Jeff came to New Orleans, as one does. And I put Jeff on my Tuesday night show at Howling Wolf. And Jeff was so funny. And we just got to talking and I was like, I got to get you on the podcast. So uh, we did. We hooked it up. Uh, We had such a good time. And I know y'all will enjoy this episode and stay tuned at the end of the episode. Uh, Jeff Klein shares some of his stand-up with us. So you definitely don't want to miss that because he is so funny. So let's get to it. Let's get to Jeff Klein, y'all. Jeff, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great today. You came down to New Orleans or up to New Orleans to do uh, the Howling Wolf show, spent a little time in New Orleans, and I got to be on your YouTube series, and we got to hang out a little bit and drink some beer, and I was just like, I I just got to talk to Jeff. I got to get to know him more. I have a lot of questions about a lot of different animals that I've gotten to know over the years, and uh, and yeah, so how was the rest of your New Orleans trip? Uh, New Orleans was great. I mean, the trip was great. I actually was very fortunate, thanks to you and a couple other people in New Orleans, a couple other comics. I got to do comedy Sunday, Monday, Tuesday night in New Orleans. So I was only there Sunday through Thursday. So getting to do comedy that much while in town was awesome. I mean, the food's great. What's the open mic that's on Monday nights? There's a couple mics. So we have a Bear With Me mic. That's a 12-mile limit. That one, at 12-mile limit. They have a... It's it's a cute little dive bar, is what it is, and I I think you guys just call that a bar in New Orleans. <laughs> and uh, and what I loved about it was they had you know free food and it was you know gumbo, and it was free gumbo in a dive bar was better than any gumbo I've gotten in Florida ever. And it was just <laughs> like just the food scene so good there. I loved it. Uh, so I had a blast. A lot of walking, a lot of fun, a lot of good times, a lot of good food. Uh, a lot of good comedy, a lot of good comics. So I had a blast. Yeah, I mean, when I saw you, it looked like you were having having a good old time. Was that your first time in New Orleans? No, I was in New Orleans when I was 14 for a Christian uh, youth conference retreat in which Jars of Clay headlined. Yeah, big times, big times back then. And oddly, 
uh, it was a different experience this time <laughs> than when I was there at 14. I loved it at 14, and uh, I always wanted to get back, and I don't know why it took me 30-some less years to get back. I, I'm Jewish, and I grew up in a very not-Jewish area, okay. and I just remember Jars of Clay played at the Six Flags. Six Flags Magic Mountain is the Six Flags by my house, and they were playing there, and everybody was going, and everybody was so excited, and I was like, I've never heard them on the radio. Like, I don't. Who is this band that everybody loves? And they went to, and they cried, and they had the most <laughs> emotional experience, and I felt so left out and so confused because this was before the internet, so I couldn't just... Google jars of clay, and I didn't want to be so uncool that I was like, but who are they? <laughs> I just remember being like so confused. And then later on, I was like, oh, there's this whole Christian rock scene that Jewish folks weren't tapped into at the time. Yeah. And I think, like, and it's so funny because whenever I tell the story, I reference them because I think that they're just one of these bands that hit big enough that that's a name you would know to try to make it impressive of where I was at at 14. But, uh, but yeah, it was fun. But yeah, awesome to go back. And I'll go back anytime. I love the city. And we're going to get back to Christian conference stuff um, because I love I, I love talking religion and I love talking about how it intersects with a lot of times our coming out or our queer identities or kind of like how that was shaped or how our Christianity was shaped based on or our Jewishness or whatever religion is kind of shaped based on trying to figure out things for, for ourselves. So I always I always think that's really interesting, you know, in, in that piece of it. But first, I know you, you live in Florida now, right? Yeah, I live in Florida, yeah. Are, were you, are you from Florida originally or did you somehow no. get there? I'm one, of, I'm one of those rare Florida natives. I'm born and raised down here. Actually, most recently, so my whole family's from Delaware. And so my mom moved down here when she was pregnant with me. And so for until last Christmas, I have specifically told people that, you know, it's always been the, well, I was conceived in Delaware, but I was born in Florida. It's just been whatever stupid thing I say. And then I'm 41, going, I'll be 42 this year. And 41 years of my life, I've been saying that for a lot of them. This Christmas, I said it to my parents at the dinner table because there was a possibility of me recording a comedy album in Delaware. And I was like, oh, that'd be fun since families from there and technically I'm from there. I was conceived there. My parents just looked at me and went, no, you're not. I was like, what do you, I don't understand what you mean. And they were like, no, you were conceived down here. We were visiting Florida. And I was like, why do you know exactly when I was, first of all, either how little have you had sex or do you remember every <laughs> single time? What type of rain man sex knowledge do you have? So I found out at Christmas, what a gift that uh, I was conceived in Florida and Nine months later, born in Florida with some traveling around in the stomach. I don't know how anatomy works in the meantime, but yeah. So I am pure Florida. Pure. And how does that make you feel thinking this whole time you were like, but, but I was conceived in Delaware. So I got, I got some of that. And now you're like, yeah. nope. I feel lied to uh, to start <laughs> with. And then on top of that, in the same dinner conversation, they pointed out that I am also an eighth Jewish, I believe. All right. Um, also, was breaking news to me, and so I had a I had a lot to take in. I had a lot to learn this last Christmas. Also, why have these been secrets for forty one years, and why tell me now 
there's a lot of, I'm left with more questions than answers is what I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. So that means one of your grandparents was, uh, I, let me see if I can do my math right. Like half Jewish or. Yeah, apparently. Why did they tell you now? And, and why did they not tell, like, what was the, my mom, sometimes she does this thing and she listens to this. So she'll probably hear this, but every once in a while she'll drop something on me and then she'll be like either, oh, I thought you already knew or, oh, I just remembered. And I'm like, yeah, I'm about to be 39. So I'm like, okay. So it's been like 38 years, 39 years, and you just remembered this thing that's like very vital and important. And, and yeah. not just like, oh, I forgot the grocery list and I got to the grocery store. Um, or, you know, I forgot to pick up bread. Like this is like a, a who you are, Jeff, who you are, <laughs> your DNA, what it's composed of. Yeah. Like, what, like you could have found that out on Ancestry DNA and come back to them like, I found out this thing. And they're like, yeah, no, we already know. They're like, yeah, yeah, nobody told you. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, my family, my family's famous about that. I think they've recently figured it out. My dad's been on a big genealogy kick the last 15 years. So I want to say, for benefit of a doubt, they recently found out, and that's why it's being brought up. But that being said, they are, I remember when a grandmother of mine passed away, my mom's stepmom, but I grew up with her as just a grandmother. And uh, I had asked, I said, oh, hey, what's going on with? Aunt Bet, my dad was, I was on the phone with my dad. I was driving to work that day and he was like, oh, she passed away three weeks ago. And I was like, uh, was anybody going to tell me? Is there a funeral? And he was like, well, the funeral was last week. And I was like, again, anybody, was somebody going to tell me? And he goes, oh, I thought you knew. And I'm like, unless you told me, how would I have known? Like you were the people to let me know. And uh, if you don't do it, I don't know. So, yeah, they didn't. Uh, say they, they probably felt like, oh, everyone's like, "Where's Jeff at this funeral?" He doesn't think like, <laughs> like, oh, oh, just she wasn't a blood grandmother, so he's not going to show up. And none of that. I just don't hear about it till a month later, type thing. Uh, so my parents are notorious for that. So nothing, nothing new on finding out <laughs> forty-one years later that I'm partially Jewish and was conceived. Again, the conceived in Florida, I probably could have gone my whole life without knowing as well the specifics of where my parents had sex to have me. I probably could have kept living my life just fine and yeah. never known that. But I do like that a gay man was conceived in Florida. I, I really, I enjoy Well, that. it's it's an act of aggression nowadays <laughs> to have that happen. So we are not known as a welcoming state currently, which is weird. Because, uh, well, where I live is is great. St. Pete is a fantastic city uh, for the gay community, for our gay pride. It's one of the largest in the Southeast. It's nuts. It's so progressive here. But you get outside of St. Pete and kind of Tampa and you're like, oh, that's right. Real Florida. You exist. That's right. Well, that's what's weird because uh, Pensacola does a pride every Memorial Day. And so I always thought Pensacola was so liberal and so queer friendly. And it turns out they voted like 98% Trump. Like they're very Republican. Yeah. But they like our money, I guess, because every Memorial Day, they rent out overpriced condos and they let us party on the beach and we come and give them all our money. And they're totally fine with that. Actually, Memorial Day this year. Uh, I will be there for the uh, P3 Comedy Fest, for the Pensacola Comedy Festival. The, I don't know what the three Ps are. Uh, I should. It's um, pre-Pride Pensacola. So I, I think that's what it is, because I did, I did it last year. I thought penis, penis would have been in there somewhere. <laughs> There's three Ps and not a single one of them penis. I'm very disappointed. I am not up for Queer of the Year, which is insulting in every way possible. 
but uh, I am performing in it this year. So I'll be there this Memorial Day to see all the fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun last year. I was in Queer of the Year, but I was like one of the last, there was like 15 of us competing and I was one of the last ones to go up and I just was so exhausted. <laughs> and it was at the end of the festival. So it was just, yeah, yeah, I really messed up my talent, um, <laughs> which it's like, you also have to come up with another talent and you're like, but I do stand up. Like that's, I don't yeah, have- that's- I'm not multifaceted. Like, <laughs> how much more talented do I need to be? Yeah, I'm like, I don't know how to tap dance. I can't sing. Like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm not learning magic. I'm 38, right. about to be 39. This is not the time in my life to discover magic. You can only disappoint your parents so much by being a stand-up <laughs> comedian. God forbid you become a magician on top of it. Oh, no. God. <laughs> That'd be the hardest coming out I'd have to them. I'm Mom, still... Dad, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> I still remember I had my mom's favorite reaction. I mean, when I came out to them was one thing. And then I want to say a month after I came out to them, uh, voting in the primaries had come up. And uh, she's like, you got to go out and vote in the primaries. And I said, it was the Democratic primaries. And I said, I can't uh, because I was registered nonpartisan. And she goes, what do you mean you can't vote in the primaries? I said, well, I'm not. I'm not a registered Democrat. And again, one month after I came out to them, her reaction went, oh, my God, do not tell me that you're a Republican. And I was like, no, I'm a registered nonpartisan. And she went, gay, I can deal with. Republican, I could not. And I was just like, (laughs) "Okay, that's where you draw your line. I love it. It's good. Look, I, I... I wish more parents had that line. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you came out to them. um, You must have been over 18, I would guess, by by the registering thing. Um, (laughs) Usually we get to a little later, but, you know, we're here. We're queer. Let's talk about it. (laughs) So usually I ask the the coming out question as a series of questions because our coming out experience is daily. It's probably still, you know, something that... And I, you know, I'm not going to speak for you, but it is definitely something that I have to decide on a semi-regular basis if I'm going to do or not do in whatever circumstances I'm in. So we like to ask, when did you first come out to yourself? When did you come out to friends and family? And then when did you come out on stage? Or was that something that was always part of what you, you know, did as performance wise? Okay. First one was come out to myself. Yeah. So We start small and then build yeah. outward. I remember, I think a friend of mine put it best later on, but I don't know that I was ever straight as much as I was acting straight most of my life. Like I was trying to date girls because that's what you were supposed to do. And I could see the positive validation from doing that. But that being said, I was never attracted to women ever. That was never a thing. And then at some point, late 15, early 16, I started realizing I was attracted to guys and started fooling around with guys. And (laughs) The worst possible scenarios one could, but that's what 16-year-old gay boys do. Uh, Put yourself in uh, dangerous scenarios. So there was a lot of that. And then even that, it was one of those things. I wasn't, it wasn't until I was in college, maybe 19, maybe 20, that I said the words out loud, Jeff, you're gay. So cut to four years of fooling around with guys I've never said the words to myself until I was probably 19 or 20. So then that was a moment for me. And that was probably, you know, that weird, that's the actual coming out to myself is admitting it. You could be doing something, but, you know, you're just like, well, I just won't talk about it. And then I was 21. I came home from college already. Uh, I met this guy at a bar and hit it off. 
really liked him. My parents and I were fairly close. And I realized I'm kind of dating this guy. I'm in a relationship I'm really happy with. And I can't tell them about it. And that bothered me. I didn't want him to feel like he was a secret. I didn't like being happy with somebody and not telling my parents about it. So I decided to come out to my parents. And that's the whole story in itself. But again, very liberal parents. I had a first, my mom's first cousin who lived in Orlando. And I grew up kind of Uncle Johnny and his partner at the time. We grew up seeing them. And uh, so there was never a problem with gay in the house. But it was still a thing for me to come out and then came out to my parents when I was 21. And then what were your other, there were two more. When did you come out to like friends and family? And then when, and then when, and if did you come out on stage? Cause I know you talk about your queerness on stage, but I don't know if that's something that developed over time or is, was always part of your act or. Yeah. Well, so that, yeah, that developed, but coming out to friends, I came out to three of my best friends first. Those before I even came out to my parents, it was one, two, three. It was uh, my friend, Alex, then my friend, Adam, then my friend, Neil. And funny enough, uh, and happily enough, and what I'm kind of proud of is I went to high school with all these guys, and we still talk once a month on a Zoom call just to catch up. There, One of them's out in San Diego, South Carolina, Boston area, and we just catch up once a month. So I love that we still get to do that, and it was a good choice on those three to come out to first because the first one was uh, Alex, and I remember coming out to him. We were driving to go intertubing on the panhandle, and he came out to him, and while we were driving and like, I don't know, two minutes later, we're talking about something else completely different. I don't know, some music or something like that. Like the toadies were coming to town and we're talking and I, I paused and I was like, hey, I just came out as gay to you. I feel like we should still be talking about that or something. It feels weird that we're off that already. And he looked at me and he was like, OK, but does it change anything? And I was like, oh, no. And he was like, all right, then. I don't know what to ask you. Nobody's ever come out to me before. And I was like, I've never come out to anybody before. I don't know what you're supposed to ask, <laughs> or what I'm supposed to say. But in his very matter of fact, does it change anything? No. I went, oh, then this, that's that put me at ease. And I was like, it's a bigger deal in my head. And I think for a lot of us, it's so built up in our head because you hear the horror stories and those exist that you never know what's on the other side of that door when you open it. And I was very fortunate with Alex. And then the next friend I told was Adam. And Alex thought I was joking for a while, but I convinced him. That sounded very salacious in how I said that, <laughs> but it not meant as much. And when I, uh, a week later or so, I came out to my friend Adam, and I spent 10 minutes convincing him it was not a joke. And I was not trying to get him. And to the point that I'm like, I came out to Alex last week, call him, have the conversation. And Adam was like, no. Because as soon as I get Alex on the phone, you're going to be like, gosh, you guys. And I was like, no, I'm not. This is not a bit I'm running. This is not some long con to get you. And then a week later, I came out to Neil. And Neil, and when I came out to him, it was one of these, uh, listen, it's not a joke. I don't want to spend 10 minutes convincing you. Call Alex and Adam. Just accept the fact. Let's have beers. And he was just like, okay. And then it was that was it. So it was good. It, those three helped ease my mind to come out to my parents, which was good. And then, uh, so then coming out to friends over and over again, it's it's just one of those things you do matter-of-factly all the time, I find. I am sometimes jealous of a naturally more flamboyant gay who doesn't have to come out all the time because sometimes it's exhausting. Sometimes it's a, you're always afraid you're going to have to deal with hate. 
but sometimes I have looked at somebody who would be quote unquote more obviously gay, more flamboyant, more this, more that, more outwardly expressing. And uh, I'm like, yeah, but if somebody hates them, they hate them before they walk up. Me, I'm going to find out if they hate me after they talk to me. And now it's awkward because now we're closer. And now, you know, it's like a hidden hate. And then a surprise, I hate you. And so I've always been concerned about that. When I started doing comedy, I didn't talk about being gay at all. I wanted to be known as one of the funniest comics around. I didn't want anything specific. I just wanted to write funny comedy. I was not at the time, but I wanted to write funny, which is ironic because the first place I did comedy was uh, Provincetown, uh, one of the gayest cities possible. So oh, yeah. um, <laughs> clearly I, I, I did start at a very gay city, but, but yeah, in my head, I, that's, that's what I wanted. And so I was probably six months, eight months in, maybe just under a year in doing comedy when a friend of mine, Jander, pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, I would have never guessed you for being gay just for whatever it's worth because that's something interesting. I don't know why you're not talking about that on stage. You're not your typical. You're not this. I wouldn't have guessed it. And then I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So then I started kind of that opened up from me just writing funny stuff to say on stage to being personal on stage. And that started shifting the trajectory of how I do comedy because instead of being like, look at this funny thing I read, it's a, you know, I'm, you know, the things I say, like, uh, you know, I'm not good at being gay, but this is what we have to deal with type thing. And I get judged for this. And you start bringing up the more personal stuff and it's amazing how much better your comedy gets when you do that. So that helped change kind of my trajectory on comedy. And that's when I started talking about it, maybe about a year in. But yeah, it's it's something, you know, kind of like you say, we have to decide when and when, when and who we bring it up to and talk to about it. And uh, and that's always, it's always on the back of my mind. I don't know about you, but I also, I find I write for a primarily straight audience when I write my jokes. I don't know, I guess you should write for everybody, but there's a reality too. 90% of the audiences are straight leaning, if you will. So I have found that in keeping their attention and keeping them on board with who I am, the jokes I'm going to do and so on, it's forced me to be a better writer than, uh, you know, a friend of mine can go up on stage and be like, oh, my girlfriend this, and everybody's gonna be like, ha ha. But if I go up on stage immediately in my mind, they go, oh, my boyfriend this, the crowd's taken out of it for a second, has to calculate, decide if they like me, decide if they don't like me, and then come back in. And the problem is I'm a joke and a half down by then. And now I've, I've lost the traction that I have with an audience. So I've had to learn how to write, how to ease them in, how to sneak them in, how to get them on board immediately, how to bring it up, get past it, move back to it type thing. And because I've had to write smarter, it's affected the other jokes on me writing smarter too. So it's its own uh, plus and minus, I want to say. I find like pretty much every set that I have, I end up, you know, talking about being queer. Um, and usually I talk like right up top, I just come out to the audience because I feel like it frames the rest of my jokes and I want that out of the way. So like they, they can make a decision if they are like, well, I don't want to hear what this lesbian has to say. They know up top, but I also feel like I agree with you. Like I used to have all these, like my very first set was about the Sochi Olympics in Russia, the winter Olympics that they had in Russia. I did a whole bit right. about that and it's like, who fucking cares? I mean, now when I, <laughs> and, and now it's been so long, you know, there's been like 
life's happened that when I ask people, like, do you even remember the Olympics in Sochi, Russia? And they're like, no. And I'm like, remember Bob Costas or had that, like his eye was all crazy and they yeah. didn't have internet there. And like they, the hotels, like the walls were missed. I was like telling them all this stuff. And they're like, no, I don't remember it at all. So it's, <laughs> you know, so doing the topical stuff, it doesn't, it's a gamble if it's not something that sticks around or if it's a celebrity that yeah, I have a lot of pop culture references that haven't stood the test of time. So to speak, yeah. but like being true to who you are and talking about your experiences will always be timeless and will always carry through no matter what. And I think that's what happens. I think I, I personally shy away from too many pop culture references because I think it puts a shelf life immediately on, on your joke. And, and, and that's fine. I mean, just, you just have to be aware of not to run that past its shelf life. And then you're writing more jokes. And I'm pretty lazy when it gets to all of that. So if I can write 60 minutes, that'll uh, be timeless. Then that's perfect. I don't need to keep writing. But uh, yeah, the other side of it was uh, a couple of my exes helped define how I look at it all too. I had one ex who um, helped start St. Pete Pride. So he helped organize it. So he was like the godfather of gay in St. Pete. And everybody knew him. Everybody was connected. And, you know, he's somebody that would go to the city and get the permits. And he was one of those kind of outwardly, uh, you know, rainbow flags flying outside the house and so on. And for a while, I didn't see the necessary that being necessary. And then on the other side of it, I start realizing that the more rainbow flags a 13-year-old sees in their neighborhood, the more they don't feel alone when they're going through their stuff. They recognize that there's a community out there. So that representation meant a lot. And I, I found out that kind of taught me how to be proud about being gay. And then I have another ex, the first boyfriend I had, kind of really taught me about being okay with being gay because I could admit I was, but I think we all struggle in the beginning because of society's influence in general. You just you're raised with advertisements being what they are and society being what it was, especially us getting, you know, in our time growing up, it was less talked about. And I had that boyfriend, Eddie, would talk about how whenever, and he was like a blue collar worker at the time. Um, he was working on an on-site shredding thing. So, you know, he's dumping, getting dirty and dumping shit and doing all of this. And uh, whenever one of his coworkers would be like, oh, check out that girl over there. He'd respond with, yeah, but that guy's ass looks great. And his thought process was, if if somebody that he's working with is going to objectify women because that's what they find attractive, there's no reason he should not be, do, well, I mean, other than don't objectify people, but he's going to be true to himself and they have to adjust. And there was a phrase I heard a while back called everyday activist. And that means you don't have to do big sweeping gestures to make a change in the world. If every day in your everyday life, you're not afraid to say, to talk about your boyfriend or girlfriend, in an everyday conversation, it becomes more commonplace and it helps change the world bit by bit. So that found its way into my comedy too, because I just want to be me on stage. I just want to talk about me and, and talking about me is going to bring up, you know, my ex had a lot of pets that we had, but he's my ex-husband. So I need to find a way to get you on board with me saying the word husband before I could talk about that. I can cut that part out. I can just say my ex and that still that joke still works, but it's not as true. And I take that extra minute to kind of make it so, you know, listen, you're going to get on, you're going to still laugh at these jokes, but you're also going to deal with the fact that that's my ex-husband 
and we're going to be honest about it type thing. So I try to take that on stage, which has led to weird interactions after shows of middle-aged women coming up to me and saying, my son is gay. And I'm like, okay, I don't, do you have have a picture of his penis? Do I know him? (laughs) I don't know what to do with this information, but they just want to connect with you after a show somehow. And I find it's been endearing and interesting when people come up and just tell me how brave I am complaining about my ex because it happens to be a man. And, uh, and I, I love it and hate it at the same time, but yeah. it's a connection, right? And so you can't complain. Yeah. So, somebody listened to you and you're like, ah, oh, fine. You're listening to me. No, I mean, part of it is like, this is the first time a lot of the audience members have, have had an experience like this for you. You're just like, yeah, this, this is my life. And for them, they're like, wow, I only knew one gay person and it was my nephew that came out to me. And now here's someone on stage talking about it. But there's also the awkwardness of like, hey, my nephew's gay. Okay, thank you for outing him to me. Like, I don't know, yeah. I don't know exactly what the what the proper response is. I'm always like, thanks for coming to the show. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I never know what to say. I, you know, it's just a thank you, I guess. But it's always like, and again, they're they're just trying to relate, and you're just trying to be a part of something. And I, it's it's their way of saying like they respect you, but they can't say those words for some reason. So they have to out somebody in their family. Um, and I'm like, all right, well, that, whatever makes you feel better. Yeah. Like I said, it's just, it is cool, though, that they they probably never thought that like they would find a connection yeah. with a, a comic on stage in this way. And they did. And not only did they, but they went up to you afterwards. And like, there's props in that, you know, props for them making that connection and then, you know, wanting to to share that. I think that's that shows progress and it shows a lot of really really cool things, you know, as far as moving, moving forward and getting to a place where we don't have to come out and it's not this whole process and it's not this scary, like how are people going to respond? And it's not a different, whether you say ex-wife or ex-husband. And I think we're getting there. And I think there are times I look at some of my jokes and I'm like, is this relevant to say anymore? Is this still necessary to say? And then I do shows in other parts of Florida and I'm like, oh, it is. Okay, cool. Uh, not everything's changed as much. Never mind. <laughs> but that's the weird thing is it definitely is changing. It's definitely all shifting towards being less, let's say, controversial, less salacious, less surprising. And people are just being more and more like, yeah, you're gay. Who cares? It's not a big deal. So we get, we do have to deal with it. I, I don't know if you have to deal with this too, uh, because I thought I found New Orleans to be incredibly progressive and, and very interesting insofar as like, I think some of my jokes would feel over explained there and being like, I'm gay. And people are like, who cares? That's what the vibe I got that was cool. But as much as the people that are like, who cares? And it's not a big deal. I think we, specifically me, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with it. I've done a show at a, at a brewery before. Decent show, everybody there for comedy. Everything's going well. I do my joke where I come out as gay. Cool. I do my joke about my ex. The whole room's laughing. And as the room finishes laughing, this older guy in the front kind of finishes chuckling to himself, calms himself, takes a deep breath, looks at me and goes, huh, you're a real funny faggot. And I'm like, ooh, okay, couple things. Uh, Technically not a hate crime because you like me. Uh, You did say funny on there. So you can't pick your fans. But it was just one of those that like, that still can come just around the corner under this guy's laughing at the joke, enjoying me as a comic, thinks I'm funny, 
but that's the follow-up on it. And so it was just one of those that you're just like, whereas we don't, we think it's going away and we think it's a little bit easier. The, the reality is as queer comics, we never know what that reaction is going to be from somebody. We never know what the hiding hate crime is, right? And so I think I personally, I pull back some on stage or I write and it kills a comic friend of mine, a comic friend of mine who's, who's an amazing, amazing comic, gets so angry that I pull back on stage some. He just wants me to go full out, be full me on stage, not worry about people's feelings, this or that. But as a queer comic, I'm always in my head like, but I don't know what the reaction is going to be. And let's say 90% of the time, it's amazing. But that 10% of hate that can come is a more aggressive hate, I think, than, than what a straight comic may have to deal with on stage if somebody doesn't like their jokes. Because if somebody doesn't like one of my friends jokes that's straight they don't like their jokes but if somebody doesn't like me on stage because i'm gay they don't like me and that's a different kind of hate and the problem i and i don't know i don't know if you deal with this i don't know if it's just me and i'm just in my head about it but i feel like i still perform with that in the back of my head like any joke i say and i know they're funny and i i know they're funny because i wrote them um and they hit well every time. But yeah, do you live with that? Do you deal with that on stage? Yeah, I've had, um, even within the first year of doing comedy, my dad was like, you don't let loose on stage. Like you hide a little bit of yourself. And he said, mm-hmm. you have to, he said, if you're going to do stand up, and I've heard a lot of people say this, you don't have to not give a fuck what, my dad doesn't talk like that. But like, you have to not care what the audience is going to think. Right. You have to not care about their response. And he's like, and you do. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, And I do for a lot of reasons. And I know a lot of it, you know, has to do with my queerness and queer visibility and my comfort level. I also think some comics do that stuff on purpose just to get and not talking shit, but like some comics, just any reaction is a good, you know, it's like the kids that are like negative attention is good attention. And I don't believe in that. I, I want smart jokes and I feel like I can find them within the confines of where I'm comfortable. And mm-hmm. if I'm not comfortable in that other space, I'm not going to go there. But I also get, I do need to be more vulnerable on stage. I do, I do a lot of surface stuff. Like, you know, like I was in a relationship for five years that ended um, last year in, in the pandemic. And I have a right. few jokes about like a pandemic breakup and uh, we had just ordered HelloFresh and I didn't get to like the real root of like why our relationship was so fucked up and right. you know why we broke up. And, and that's the kind of, that's the emotional stuff that I do want to dive into, but I am a little hesitant and, and scared about that. So I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Like that's, like you say, you can pick like topics to write jokes. Like when you first started, you're like, yeah. I write jokes about this. And now I'm writing jokes about this and, and you can choose that. And, and I'll get to the place. Cause what I ultimately want is I just love comics like, like Margaret Cho or uh, Wanda Sykes or, you mm-hmm. know, th- that they, they have, they're, they're so funny and their writing is so sharp, but they also spend time just talking, just yeah. telling you how they feel about different things in life. And then they'll come right back with a joke. And that's what I really ultimately want to achieve, but they've been doing it 20, 30 years, 40 <laughs> exactly. years. So I understand I'm a little behind the curve there, but ultimately that's what I want. And I think it's that vulnerability. Cause I guess I think I'm vulnerable enough on stage by just being like, I'm queer and, and these are my experiences and I'm Jewish. I've had more issues with coming out as Jewish on stage than, than queer, right. depending on where I am in 
of course, the South. Um, but so it's like you have to be really conscious of these things and they and it does get in your head. And, and you should think about the audience, too, because I think some comics don't think about the audience. And I think they're like, this is funny. I believe it's funny. So it's going to be funny. But I want to relate to I want the audience, you know, to come up to me afterwards and have awkward conversations like I, I want that kind of response where they're so engaged with what I'm doing that they feel connected. Yeah, I think I've always looked at it that archetype wise, I was trying to decide at the top of each list, do I want to go, do I want to be seeing, and you know, this is not that I see myself as them at all. I'm just saying this is the epitome. Great writing is a George Carlin. George Carlin is going to dissect a thought fully and make you get on board with it at the end of the day. And it's so beautiful on how smart it is and everything. Or do you want to be extremely personal like Richard Pryor? Pryor told his story on stage and not all of his story was good and not all of his story should have been told and not all of it holds up against time. But I think the forgiveness that comes in a lot of the stuff Pryor talked about is the fact that it was so raw, it was so real, it was so him on stage. And he said it very funny, and he had punchlines in there. But I think he's a great comic because it was the most personal people had seen. And I think Carlin's such a great comic because it was some of the best writing people had seen and heard. And I think between that is you're finding yourself in the middle of those two greats on, you know, do I want to write really well? Do I want to put myself out there 100%? And that's that kind of that balance that you find, right? Or that you try to find and figure out what works for you. And then it's talking about that uncomfortable stuff. You know, Margaret Cho talks about really her, she's that she leans towards the prior side on, she's very personal about what she talks about yeah. and all her, her life and her struggles and her addiction and her mother and all of that. I think it's all great. And it's funny because these are the two that you like. Wanda, I think is one of the greatest writers yeah. of all time. I am so you, the two that you mentioned fall kind of going the opposite ways on there. Like Wanda would fall for me under that Carlin column. I mean, she talks about her experiences of being like one of my favorite jokes is her experience about not considering herself African-American because nobody from Africa has ever tried to rescue her. And she's like, Americans, we rescue Americans. And it's great. It's a great fit. And it's something I personally growing up as a young white man, I never thought of. But when I saw it, I was like, that's a perspective. That's great. Yeah. And the things I love is the things I love when I watch other comics. Uh, I look for that for a unique point of view, a point of view that's not mine. And I think that that's what I've started honing in on myself more recently than anything is realizing that like anything I'm saying up there, and I've brought old jokes back up to see how I say them now, because my point of view is different than somebody else. So if I'm talking about a similar premise, my point of view is my point of view on it. I'm trying to be very my point of view on it all. And uh, let that dictate the rest of it. And I think that's when I'm watching somebody else. And there was a couple comics specifically in New Orleans that when I saw them, I was like, that's a point of view I haven't heard before. And, you know, you mentioned being Jewish. And to me, kind of having to, <laughs> I, I, I love the idea. I'm sorry, it's your struggle. But I love the idea that it's harder coming out as Jewish than it is as queer in the South. You know, there's a there's a weird interestingness that the South has gotten on board with gays, but we're still behind on Jews. And it's like, really, that's what? Yeah. 
it's, it's shocking <laughs> and, it, and it is kind of funny like that's the thing like i you know like i didn't expect it but you're right there is something there where where it's like i should explore that a little more well they're so embedded in racism that like they're like well gay people can be white and that's fine though but jews that's a religion and a race racism like they just <laughs> love it so much yeah. um, but that but that's that beautiful point and that's a unique such a unique thing to you you know but yeah so that's i mean that's i just love comedy and i love one of the other things I love about, and I'm so happy that I got into comedy, is because the community, I think, is great. And I'll talk about the New Orleans community again. I mean, I love my community here. But I think in the gay community, you find yourself surrounded by like people, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, geez, the, you know, if you go to a bear event in the gay community, it is a hundred guys that look very similar in a police lineup all there together type thing. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the, about the comedy community is like, you know, at any show or mic or anything, I'm interacting with a 65 year old straight white guy and a 20 year old young black guy and a transgender comic and you know, this, and, and I just, you're, you're interacting with so many different people from different walks of life that are merely there because of comedy and funny and i sometimes just sit back and i'm so happy about it because it's a it's a it's a weird group of people that i don't think would get together on a regular day outside of comedy yeah but because of stand-up you get together and you're just you're friends with everybody and you're like what would we have ever met outside of this and i don't think that it's true i don't think we would have but i love that we get to do that in this uh, stand-up community and that's one of the that's one of the great things I, I just have a blast with. Yeah, no, definitely. There's people that like, yeah, I see them multiple times a week. It shows in mics and we talk and it's like, I, I would have never met you otherwise. And I probably wouldn't have talked with you as much as I do, but I enjoy, <laughs> right. I enjoy your company and I enjoy you telling me ideas and jokes and me telling you ideas and jokes and just hearing like your different thoughts and you know what you would bring to that versus what I would bring to that. Like it is, yeah, you can't always be around like yes men and yes women and you right. know i think that's probably why i date the women i do because they're very clear on how they feel um, <laughs> all the time <laughs> very opinionated lots of the opinions <laughs> yeah but you know i have a jewish mom so I, i'm used to it i <laughs> i did i know i mentioned two things that i wanted to come back to because i know you mentioned that you came to new orleans for some reason for a christian conference but um were you raised religious and are you religious? Were you super religious? Is religion a part of your journey? And is it a part of your coming out? And like, were you ever taught, you know, growing up? Was queerness ever discussed right. um, in your religion? Well, I will say, I don't think it was discussed much. Uh, I was raised Lutheran, which is like, you know, one of the easiest of the religions, really. Is that the one you all call Catholic? They call it Catholic light? Is that? I think so. Maybe, okay. yeah. So I was raised, yeah, I was raised Lutheran, which was, so, I mean, we did confirmation, we did communion, we did all of that. I was, I got confirmed. And I remember, I think I was in it, you know, it, here's the gayest thing possible. I was in it for the pageantry of it. And the, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, I knew I was good at public speaking. So like when I got up and read verses at church, I'm getting people listening, like way early on, I know that I want people listening to what I say type thing. So like that was spurned early. And I don't, 
I don't know that I was religious as much as I enjoyed uh, being around the people there in the youth group and you just you were around your friends. But I distinctly remember being confirmed and they're like, you know, do you accept Jesus Christ into your life for the confirmation? And me just kind of being like, I feel like you want me to say yes. So I'm going to say yes, because it just feels like the right thing to do. But I, you know, distinctly do not remember feeling connected to the church in any way outside of that. It wasn't a deep spiritual connection. And and as I grew up and got older and uh, studied philosophy and psychology and all of that, I got out of religion. I became fairly agnostic through everything. Whereas I like the idea of spirituality. I like the idea that something could be out there and that's great. I don't know what the something is. I think organized religion is a great form of group therapy for people that need it. And if it's used just as that, I think it's amazing. A place for people to get together, talk about their problems, work things out. I think for that, organized religion is great. Outside of that, I have massive problems with organized religion. I mean, I've been to the Vatican, uh, to Vatican City. I've seen the churches throughout Europe, the amount of money that was put into them while people are starving outside. You know, like there's a hypocrisy that is built into church and organized religion is what I should say. There's, there's, but that being said, I, I don't know that it affected me much. I remember I truly became disenfranchised with the church when I went through communion and I asked, cause I, my cat had just passed away, one of my cats. And I said, uh, do, you know, do cats go to heaven? And the, uh, the pastor was like, cats don't have souls. And I was like, I'm out. Um, like this isn't, yeah, that's <laughs> this not for you, me either. Yeah. You've just told a young teenager who lost his cat that he will not be reunited with him in heaven. I'm out. And that my cat doesn't have a soul. My cat has more soul than that man that said that. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, if you had told me my cat went to hell because it was a bad cat, fine. But to tell me they don't have souls, I was like, no. So that's what I, I think I started getting disenfranchised and then I just fell out of it. And so. That would be the point where I'd be like, no. <laughs> yeah, you're like, check no loose. longer hang out. <laughs> We're not doing this. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, I was around the church uh, after that and so on, but I was barely checked out. And then my parents are still in the church. My mom became a bit more religious when the, uh, me and my brother kind of fully moved out and so on. But again, I think personally, that's for that kind of group therapy portion of it. And I think that was needed at the time. But, you know, to me, it, I, I could I could give or take. I'm not I'm not a religious or church going person by any means. Yeah, because, yeah, I know sometimes when I talk to folks on the podcast, it's if they grew up really religious or were receiving certain messages, it definitely shapes, you know, their their journey. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're the the Catholic light, um, so to speak, like it's good that it did it, you know, that they weren't drilling these messages into your head that that weren't accurate and definitely, you know, weren't helpful in a a coming out journey. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And then the other thing that I wanted to come back to, because you had this joke that was amazing about all of the the animals and and pets that <laughs> that you that you've had, but I just you know I, I wanted to to talk about all the animals because I I, I, love, I love all of them and they all have souls and they have better souls than we do because they're pure <laughs> they're pure right. in a way that humans can never be. I mean, cats can still be jerks. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but uh, but they have a soul. They do um, have a soul. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so. I grew up, I'll I'll try to make it, I grew up with cats. I grew up, my parents had cats before I was born. And I was born in in 1980. So around the time when people are like, 
you can't have babies and cats together because cats will steal their breath. You know, that ridiculousness. <laughs> and my parents were like, well, we had the cats first. So yeah, that's we're going to keep that. Yeah. So we, um, so I was raised around animals. I love animals. Uh, I've always had them part of my life. And then um, throughout the years, I've had them in and out of my life. And then I started dating the man that would be my husband. And he also likes animals. And we had problems saying no to each other. Um, so I had gotten a kitten once we started dating. And I kept it in my apartment. And I would drive it back and forth if I stayed at his house. And then that kitten was annoying his cat. So we got another kitten for the kitten to play with because that's what you do. Clearly. You answer everything with an animal. <laughs> so then we had three cats and he had a dog. And then uh, things escalated at, <laughs> at, its, at its height, we'll say. We had one rescue. A lot of these were rescues, uh, almost all of them. We had one rescue kitten who ended up having kittens. And we gave most of the cats, most of her kittens away, but then we kept two, which got us to our height of, let me see, we had one, two, three, four cats, I want to say. Maybe it was five, but I want to say four cats at its height, maybe five. But some of them were like indoor-outdoor cats. And then we had three dogs at its height, and he suggested we get chickens because he had always wanted them. And when we moved from one house in a neighborhood to a bigger yard house, we opted to get, I said, well, I don't have an excuse. The last excuse was we didn't have the room, but we have room. So go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, he got smart with that. He's like, we're just getting a bigger house with more space. (laughs) So we got chickens, which required me to help build a chicken coop, which I had never done or thought I would have to in my life. And at the craziest, we had probably... Nobody from the city of St. Pete's listing, right? We had probably 15 chickens at one point, three turkeys, four ducks at one point, and four tortoises. And on the tail end of all of that, (laughs) there was a rabbit in an alley near the house that I stopped the car and chased after like a two-year-old seeing a balloon it wanted. I'm like, rabbit, come here, rabbit. <laughs> and so the next day the rabbit showed up in our yard because it clearly wanted to be caught. So my ex Bob caught it. And then that rabbit looked depressed. So we got a second rabbit oh because that's our answer. <laughs> so at some point we had two rabbits on everything too. So it was it was a lot. And now I will say this. It, we lived in a good amount of property. So there was yard there. On top of that, he was early retired from work. So he took care of all of the animals throughout the day type thing. So somebody was home and he was taking care of and cleaning things out and so on. Because I can't imagine doing that if we were both working full time and so on. That's all you do. You just work. But that's, come home yeah. And, You'd work. You know, and take shifts with the animals and shifts <laughs> at work and exactly. maybe a sleep shift at some point, And that would be... Your entire existence. So he so he took care of almost all the animals. But yeah, it was it was a lot of animals at some point. Then towards right before the end of our relationship, we got rid of all the birds, which was like a big weight lifted off because it was just less things to deal with. And then when uh, we separated, I moved out. I took two cats with me. And then so he settled into, and we sadly just put one of our puppies down a month ago, less than a month ago. Oh, and um, so he... <laughs> has settled into a life 
of no husband around, less half the animals around, no birds around. So he's quite happy with the freedom that it allots because you do the thing where you just keep accruing pets because, you know, pets equal love and that's how you fill the emptiness inside. And so you keep doing that until all of a sudden you realize you're like, holy crap, I'm burdened by all of these animals all the time that need food, this, litter box exchange, this, this. So we start getting away from all of that. You're like, oh, I can breathe again. You know, when you're in it, you love all of that. But when you lose it a little bit, you're like, oh, this is okay. It's not, I don't need every animal in the world. I'm not Noah. I don't need to put everything in here. So, yeah. Y'all were getting pretty close, though. <laughs> we gave them a run. Nobody was making a boat out of anything. But, yeah, we gave them a run. <laughs> you made a chicken coop. I mean, the next step yes. is clearly a boat. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. I can build anything now. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. I just, I knew, yeah, you just had a, a joke about accruing all these animals. And I was just yeah. like, how do you even get a turkey? Like, where does that come from? And, and how do you pet, can you pet ducks? Are they cool? Like, or do they just, you know, let you feed them sometimes? Like, it's so interesting, you know, with pets that I don't, that I haven't had. Like, I've, I've always yeah. had cats. I've lived with dogs. I understand how they work with other animals. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know how they work. Well, I have friends that have like chickens that are super well-trained that, They'll go out in the backyard and be like, you know, whatever sound they make. And the chicken hops up on their lap. And I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Uh, our chickens don't do that. Um, <laughs> they'll let you pick them up occasionally. Turkeys are a bit more, they don't trust things as much. So they, mm. they get a little bit more protective. Ducks are, uh, ducks didn't love being picked up. Sometimes they were cute. Sometimes they weren't. Uh, they're cute when they're floating around in our pool, but they're also not cute because they're just pooping in the pool all the time. And you're like, <laughs> get out of the pool. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I never expected my life to lead to that many animals and me living in a, an urban farm, if you will. But I'm happy it happened because it was definitely an experience. And it gave to a great joke on stage. So really, I just, I appreciate the material I've gotten yeah. from it. <laughs> Totally worth it. Anytime you get a joke out of something, I'm like, that five-year relationship, that was worth it. That I was got worth four, I got four jokes out of that. I, I got a 10-minute <laughs> set out of that. Totally worth all that investment. <laughs> if I can get two minutes per year of investment, I'm happy. We're good. Yeah, that's a high return right there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you, Jeff, so much for joining us and, and talking with us. And Thank um, you. I had a good time. And can you let can you let folks know where they can connect with you, uh, social media, or if you do any like regular shows or uh, beer with a queer if you want yeah. to talk about that uh you can call me personally at 70 i'm just kidding um <laughs> no uh but definitely easiest way to find me is on on any social media it is that jeff is funny t-h-a-t jeff is funny i made it that handle because i feel if people have to say it they'll have to believe it so that's my goal there it's trickery uh, i like it <laughs> jeff klein on facebook and then yeah i do a weekly show called with the queer that Amanda here was on and uh, we're getting good reviews on and then that comes out weekly that's on every social media and then I also will have a second season of a show that I write produce and act in I won't say star in called outside a comedy club where it's just they're like three to five minute episodes of what us as comics talk about outside of the club oh, um, cool. in a in kind of a, a scripted episodic uh, series of comics talking about all the craziness we talk about outside of club. So we're shooting season two of that now. I say season two, the first season 
is eight episodes of four minute clips. You can watch it all in 25 minutes, but that's not important. It was a first season and that's what matters. And you completed a whole season and now you got to. Yeah, completed the whole season. It's a whole, it's a whole season done. Yeah. Even just recording these like short clips, it takes so much effort and technology and the camera and the editing and the writing and the lighting and all this stuff. Like you think it's, I did a bunch of that stuff and we all like during the pandemic, we're like, let's turn the camera on ourselves. And it takes so much work. Like be proud of that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And. And I do have to do it all because all of my friends are useless, but <laughs> uh, I'm happy to do it. And yeah, so any social media, that Jeff is funny. Facebook is Jeff Fine uh, or JeffFineComedy.com has all that stuff too, uh, which I should update if anybody goes there. Uh, but yeah, I just, I keep having fun. I get out there as much as I can. I hope to get back to New Orleans much sooner than later. I made a lot of good connections, a lot of good friends out there. So I want to go see you guys again. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Just just hit me up. I'm I'm always here. <laughs> I definitely will be doing that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right. Thank you so much. Good to see you again. She had a health scare the other day. She did. She went to the doctor. I checked in on her. She is a friend, even though she's a bad person. She's a friend. And I said, how'd it go with the doctor? How'd it go? What happened? She goes, Jeff, I don't know what to tell you. It got serious. They used the C word. And then she leaned into me to clarify cancer. I said, Barbara, there's two C words. And contextually, I figured out which one your doctor said to you. Although I wouldn't blame him if he used the other. Thank you to Jeff Klein for sharing his world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for producing our theme song. Social media with us, connect with us. You can find us on Twitter at Queer to My Heart, on Insta and Facebook at Near Queer to My Heart. If you're old school, send us an email, near and queer to my heart at gmail.com. We have merch at tpublic, teepublic.com, so check us out there and stay tuned for all the great stuff we got coming up. Happy Pride, and of course, thank you all for listening. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 